signed up. Um, that's why I actually got down a little bit. I forgot that I didn't have anybody here running the camera. So I got Elijah doing that for me. All right. So Acts chapter 3, um, there is no PowerPoint. I will try my best to keep you up to date on where I am and keep your blanks filled in. Um, and hopefully we can figure out in the next uh, couple days what's up with the PowerPoint. All right, so the blessing of Christ, Acts chapter 3. Who is Christ to you? If you were to describe Christ, what would you say? And we could have multiple different answers. I remember uh, last Sunday we started a new series for Sunday school through the book Gentle and Lowly, and I asked who Jesus was. And it was interesting just to hear how many different words there were that people used to describe who Jesus was. And really what Acts chapter 3 is doing is, it is promoting, it is um, laying forth who Jesus is to the disciples. And who he is to the people of Jerusalem. And so as... Acts chapter 3 unfolds, the picture of who Jesus is comes into clear focus, not for the disciples, they already know who Christ is, but for the people who are in the temple gathered for worship. These are people who have a desire to know God, who have dedicated significant time and energy to pursue knowing who God is, and yet they don't know who Christ is. And as this miracle unfolds in the first part of Acts chapter 3, it provides an opportunity for Peter to then take these open hearts, these curious minds, and to reveal to them who Christ is. And so as the passage unfolds, Christ is revealed to be the all-powerful one. He is revealed to be the promised one. He is the Messiah. He is the prophet leader like Moses, the one whom Moses said, one will come who is like me. He is revealed to be the author or the prince of life. And as Christ is revealed, it is revealed that there are blessings that are to be found in Christ. There are specifically three very focused ways in which Peter says these are blessings that receiving Christ will bring to you. But notice that's exclusive, right? What must one do to receive the blessings of Christ. The blessings of Christ are not simply given to anyone and everyone just based upon the fact that they exist. Those blessings become theirs through faith in Jesus Christ. And so he uses this story of the man who was born lame and who receives the ability to walk. He says, this then provides an opportunity to learn a far deeper spiritual truth about who Jesus Christ is, about who the promised Messiah is. And so how do they do this? How do they make these blessings their own? The answer is through faith in Jesus. The passage also models for you and I how we, too, should be looking for opportunities to present the blessings of Christ to others. And so the passage does two things. I think it does one thing. It calls you and I to examine ourselves and say, what is my faith placed in? And if my faith is in anything other than the finished work of Jesus Christ, I am not a recipient of the blessings of 
But the text also models for us very well the importance of you and I taking the message that has been entrusted to us and presenting it to others. And so there is something for all of us in the text. The theme of the text, I believe, is place your faith in Christ for your spiritual healing. If you would take your copy of God's Word and let's read together Acts chapter 3. We'll start in verse 1 and we'll read through verse 26. Verse 1. Now Peter and John went out together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us! gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. Now as layman, who was healed, held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us, as though by our own power or godliness, we have made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just, and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him was given him, has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenants which God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So you, first, God, having raised up the servant Jesus, sent him to bless you, and turning away every one of you from your iniquities. 
Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for its truthfulness. We thank you for its effectiveness in our lives. Thank you that it does not leave us where we are, but that it continually shapes and molds us. It shapes and molds us not into our own image or what we would like to be, but it shapes us and molds us into your son's image. We pray that as we spend some time meditating on this passage of scripture this morning, that you would use it to shape us and make us more like you. Pray that you would give us a heart that has a desire to see people come to know you and to receive your gift and your blessings. We pray that as we do so, that you would give us the boldness and the courage. We pray that if there is someone here who has never received Christ as their Savior, who has never understood the severity of their sin and the brokenness of their relationship with Christ, that they would profess faith in Christ as they hear once again the message of who Christ is and what he has accomplished on our behalf. In the name we pray. Christ heals people. That's really what the story is, and it's an illustration that provides an opportunity to teach a greater spiritual truth. And so as the story opens up in chapter 3, Peter and John are going into the temple to pray. And, and the text makes no unique, unique claims or expectations for the day. The text opens up and it's just an everyday, ordinary day. There's nothing unique, nothing unique about the claims or the expectations for the day. It is a plain, ordinary day. They're just going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, about 3 p.m., and they're going to pray. And the idea is that this is something that they're always doing, right? We get that from the previous chapter. So if you look up at verse um, 46 of chapter 2, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. This is something that they're always doing. And so there's no huge expectation for the day. And really the guy himself, the layman that's going to be healed, doesn't have any unique expectations either. He has a unique need, but has no expectations of a solution. Look at his request. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb. I mean, you can just kind of see, like, this guy's been doing this for forever, right? He's gone. He's probably heard stories of who Jesus is. He's heard stories of people getting healed. He's probably heard of various uh, pools that maybe if he got into quick enough, he could get healed, but he's not fast enough because he's lame. He has no expectation of ever experiencing anything different than this. He sees Jane, or he sees Peter and John, and he asks them for some alms. Peter's response gives the man pause and a reason for hope, but his hope isn't in something that will take care of the temporary physical relief that he needs. The, the hope is simply that. It's just a temporary physical hope. He's like very hopeful when Peter said, look at us. This man gives their att his attention, expecting to receive something from them. It's like he's expecting, I'm going to get a gift that is going to take care of me for an extended period of time. I'm not going to just get you know enough money to buy another piece of bread like this guy is drawing special attention, special focus to himself. There is something unique coming from this man. And as he talks, he, be 
begins to kind of shatter the guy's hopes. He gets the guy's attention, he's looking at him expectantly, and he says, silver and gold, I do not have. And you can kind of get the idea of like, this guy is looking at Peter and John, and he's probably like, you guys are some of the most sarcastic, mean people that ever existed to make such a joke to a lame guy who's been lame since birth. Like, draw special attention to yourself, and then you say, you know, I don't have silver. Why? Because Peter's goal is not just to take care of a temporary physical relief, but relief for his life. He's caring for the need that he has. He's providing for him so that he can actually go and take care of himself, not rely upon others. He's demonstrating a care for the man's very person. Peter then goes on after kind of crashing the guy's hopes, and he says, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And through faith then in Jesus' name, the man is healed and once again is able, or for the first time actually, is able to walk. And so he regains the ability to walk, and what happens? He goes and he proclaims in an exuberant way his testimony. And his testimony is seen before all. Peter grabs him by the right arm, pulls him up, and immediately his feet and ankles, bones, receive their strength. And so he goes when he does what? He leaps up, he stands, and he walks into the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. This is an instantaneous, undeniable miracle. Everybody knew it. The text makes that clear because the text goes on and it says that everybody in the temple that's seeing this guy is like, we know this guy. He is recognized and is a source of wonder and amazement within the temple crowd. Look at verse 9. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging palms at the beautiful they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And so Jesus is using this miracle to open people's eyes, to open doors for the gospel. Because this man's primary problem isn't that he is born lame. Your primary problem isn't financial. Your primary problem isn't physical, and that you're sick. It isn't anything that has to do with physical circumstances that possibly could be changed. Your primary problem is that you are a sinner that stands condemned under God's wrath. And only one thing can take that away. And so Jesus allows the disciples, through his power, to heal this man and to honor and glorify him through this event so that there's an opportunity within the temple confines to proclaim Jesus Christ as the resurrected Messiah. And that through him there is hope, not only in this life, but in the life to come. And so the text triumphantly is triumphantly proclaiming that healing is available through Jesus Christ. How does 
Peter responds to this. And this is really application. I've written all these as application for believers because most of you are believers. Uh, there is plenty of application for unbelievers as well. But how does Peter respond to the situation? Think of the many different ways that he could have responded to the situation. He could have responded by patting the guy on the back and saying, well, it's time for me to go pray. You explain the story. What would this poor layman have had to say about what had just happened to him? Probably not much. Why? Because he's been lame. All he's been able to do is sit at the temple gate and beg for alms. He's not been with Jesus. He doesn't know the story of who Jesus is and the significance of who Jesus is, the significance of placing faith in Jesus' power to raise, to raise him and allow him to once again walk. This man has no ability to fully testify to the significance of this event. Peter could have walked away. But instead, Peter chooses to embrace this opportunity. And really, it's, it's multiple opportunities. Why does Peter do this? Because Peter sees the need of the people. And I believe that there's, there's need within the, the layman who's been healed, but also the crowd at large. This man is portrayed as someone who is hanging on to Peter and John. That's something that just really struck me as I was studying through the text. Like, look at verse 11. Now as the layman who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to him in the porch, which is called Solomon's greatly amazed. And the text doesn't really tell us why he's holding on, but I think in part his understanding of what's all happened is not fully fleshed out. He's like, those guys healed me. I'm staying with them. I'm trusting, in part, them. Like, I'm clinging to them. You're not getting away. Just in case something happens when you leave, like, you're staying here. And all these people are amazed at this. They're filled with wonder and amazement. They're questioning what's going on. And Peter sees the need. Why? Because the need hasn't been solved in the first ten verses. The need of the layman goes far deeper. The need of the people who've come to pray, who are religious people, is not solved in the first ten verses. They could have gone and prayed, and prayed and gone home, but their need would still be there. And so Peter sees the need. He sees and understands that they are sinners, that they need the message of Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, and resurrected. The one who fulfills the prophecies of the Old Testament, proclaimed to them, and the hope that is available in Jesus Christ, proclaimed to them. And so he sees this need, and he goes on, and he capitalizes upon the condition of his audience. This is an audience that is ready to hear, that is ready to listen. And so he capitalizes upon this, and he begins to talk to them. And as he does so, he ensures that Christ is central, not humans or their philosophies. It reminds me of when Paul and um, Barnabas are going to go to one of the unbelieving cities and what's going to happen. There is going to be the casting out of the demon of that girl, and then what happens? All the people are like, it's Zeus, and they want to worship them, right? And Paul's response is, no, 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 don't do that. We're just people. 
exactly what Peter does here too, right? He's like, no, we're not the central focus. We're not the most important thing. The important thing is Jesus Christ. Look at verse 12. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness, we had made this man walk? What is Peter doing? He's pointing the attention, he's pointing the focus of the people to Christ. He is ensuring that Christ is the one who will be exalted through the situation. He embraces the opportunity and immediately points people to Christ. He says, it's not my power, it's not my godliness that is important here, it is Christ. Look to Christ. Exalt him, glory him, revel in the majesty of Christ in the situation. And so, Peter models for you and I how to take situations that we come across and to use them to open up doors to proclaim who Christ is. And you and I don't have quite as easily open doors necessarily, right? Fortunately, I don't have the opportunity to go to the hospital and just heal people by telling them believe and they get up and walk out. If they did, provide for hopefully lots of really quick open doors. But we don't do that today. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's not working that way today. But you and I do have open doors. Whether it be conversations with neighbors or friends or family members, as you and I engage them in conversation, what happens? Comments are made that we can ask questions about and open up doors. And those opportunities that are given to you, how are you and I Will you and I purpose to be more intentional in seeking and using the opportunities that Christ provides us? Christ doesn't require of you and I that we lead 20 souls to Christ this year. What he does require is that you and I are faithful in using the opportunities he gives us. It's interesting that the response of the people is kind of negative overall. How do the people overall respond? Chapter 3 really doesn't tell us how they respond. Chapter 4 tells us how they respond. If you just kind of quickly skim through chapter 4, what is the response of the people? Or at least the religious leaders. They put them in jail. Okay, that's not um, an ideal evangelistic situation, at least not in my book. God measures success based upon your faithfulness, not upon and so as he embraces the opportunity, he then goes on, and as he embraces the opportunity, he exalts Christ. He exalts Christ, and he points them to Christ, the significance and the centrality of Christ in what has happened. Because the people didn't get that. And I don't think the layman even understood that. I think it's not till Peter and John, or Peter specifically, work through and explain to them the significance of who Jesus Christ is and what Christ has accomplished, that then they could come to faith. A miracle in and of itself was not sufficient to bring them to faith. Because it doesn't reveal their sin, it doesn't reveal their need, it doesn't reveal the solution, it doesn't provide forgiveness of sins. 
Christ does that. Only Christ does that. So as disciples, we are unworthy of the praise and attention that is only fitting for the Lord Jesus Christ. And he points people to Christ as a sufficient and glorified <coughs> Son of God. Look with me at verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus. And really the, the theme from verse 13 all the way through verse 26, I believe, is that idea. Who is Jesus? Jesus is a servant. Look at verse 26. You first God having raised up his servant, Jesus. How has Jesus served his people? Well, he served them by being the Prince of Life. He served them by being the Messiah. He served them by being the one who was foretold by Moses, the prophet like Moses. He served them by being the one who forgives them of their sins. He served them by being the one who will bring times of refreshment. He's going to serve them by being the one who will restore to them the promises of the kingdom. And so the theme is, Christ is exalted. Why? Because he is the servant of God, accomplishing the mission of God. And you need to get on board is the idea. You need to embrace this mission that Christ has and God's plan of using Christ. And if you don't, you're going to be destroyed. He actually says that. The idea is you can be destroyed or you can receive blessing. Those are the only two options that as Peter goes through and exalts Christ and encourages them to respond to the message, those are the only two possible responses. Embrace and receive blessing or reject and be destroyed. And so he points people to Christ as a sufficient and glorified Son of God. He establishes the foundation of faith by pointing others to the historicity of Jesus. Jesus is the glorified servant of God. Jesus is the one who was delivered and denied before Pilate. And so following through, he says, glorified his servant Jesus this is how you responded to him initially you delivered him, you denied him you determined to let him go but you denied the holy one and the just you asked for a murder to be granted to you and you killed the prince of life whom God raised from the dead of which we are witnesses he says despite his glory the exalted one is betrayed to be murdered says, through faith in him, in the exalted Christ, this man is healed. Through faith in the exalted Christ, this man is healed. Look at verse 16. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him and has given him this perfect soundness is in the presence of the Lord. exalts Christ and says, Christ is sufficient. Christ is all. It's through Christ that he has received his healing. It is through Christ that he is able to even turn to Christ for faith. He has turned to Christ and Christ has healed him. And so as you and I engage Exalt Christ through our life? Do we point people?
disciples did not pick Christ, is the servants of God. And that he is serving his people in numerous ways. He serves them by being the Holy One. He serves them by being the Just One. He serves them by being the Prince of Life or the Author of Life. He serves them by being the one who provides them with faith and brings them to himself. You and I need to exalt Christ. Perhaps you're here and you have never realized the exalted nature of Christ. And so these truths seem foreign to you, seem distant to you, seem incomplete in your understanding. Let me encourage you, come and talk to myself, talk to one of the deacons, talk to a trusted family friend or somebody that you know knows these truths and seek answers from them. But finally, Peter does not stop there. He does not simply embrace the opportunity. That's a great opportunity. He doesn't simply tell people, look at who Jesus is. Isn't Jesus a great servant? And he wants to serve people in these ways. But he also goes forward and he says, you need to respond. Now we have to be careful with how we push people and how we encourage people to place their faith in Christ. But it is appropriate for you and I to call upon people to respond to the message of Christ. That's what Peter does. In verses 17 and following, what he's doing is he's going before them and he's saying, guys, you need to respond. It's not sufficient to simply know these truths. You have to actually repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus. Otherwise, simply knowing these truths with your head does nothing for you eternally. And so he encourages a response. He acknowledges what is wrong. He encourages the response of repentance. It's interesting, as he as he talks to them, he tells them, I, I, I know that you guys did this in ignorance. You didn't understand what you were doing. You were wrong, though. People can be wrong and be ignorant at the same time. But it doesn't make that wrong okay. They still need forgiveness for that wrong. He's like, you were ignorant of doing this, but you still need to do what? Repent. Look with me at verse 17 and following. Yet now, brother, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. You guys didn't know what you were doing. You took the Holy One, the Just One, the Prince of Life, the Author of Life, the one who'd come to make everything right. You exchanged him from our murderer and murdered him. understanding what you were doing. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he has fulfilled. God used their ignorance, though it was wrong, though it was sinful, to accomplish his plan. God's plan is not thwarted. The book of Acts continuously shows that time and time again. God's plan, God's word, marches into unclaimed territory and time and time again through the power of God enabled by the Spirit of God under the authority of Jesus Christ 
advances and accomplishes God's mission. Every single time. Why? Because that's the type of God we serve. He is a mighty God who accomplishes his mission. And so he says, this is God's plan. But he doesn't allow them to go, you know, Aaron, Aaron, we didn't know what you're doing. It's all right. God will work it out in the end. No, he says, look, he gives them a command. Repent, therefore, and be converted. Why? So that there can be a time of blessing. So repentance is required for those who desire the blessings of Christ. Repent, therefore, and be converted. Change your mind. Turn over. Stop what you're currently trusting in. What you're trusting in right now, what you believe in right now, does not work. The only thing that will save you from your sins and restore your relationship to God is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ once for all time. So be converted. Change your mind about what you're believing. And then what's going to happen? He says repentance will bring forgiveness. Repentance will bring forgiveness. Repentance will bring covering for sin. Repentance will bring refreshment to the spiritually blind. And repentance will bring the fulfillment of their longings. The restoration of creation. Look with me at verse 19. That your sins may be blotted out. That's forgiveness. So that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You're not simply going to be forgiven. Christ is going to come and refresh you in the Lord. He's going to encourage you, equip you, and prepare you for faithful service. But not only that, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, you were ignorant, you didn't understand it, you rejected him, whom heaven must receive until when? Until the times of restoration of all When you place your faith in Christ, you can be part of God's restoration of all things. If you don't place your faith in Christ, if you don't repent and be converted, what does that mean? That means that these results, covering for sin, forgiveness, refreshment to the spiritually blind, and fulfillment of their longing of being restored are impossible. So he tells them, this is a joy that can be yours through Christ. Which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So Christ is going to restore all things. And not only is he going to restore all things, but he's actually the fulfillment of Moses' prophecy. For Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. From your brethren, him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you, and it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet or believe that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Rejection will result in destruction, while faith will allow for participation in the blessing of the earth. Faith brings blessing. Rejection brings destruction. That is the message that Peter says we are to receive from 
healing of the land. And so, where are you? Have you placed your faith in Jesus' finished work? Have you ever realized that you are a sinner? That you stand condemned before a holy, righteous God? That there is nothing you could ever do on your own to receive Christ's mercy? And yet you desperately need his forgiveness, his mercy. And that it's only through faith in Jesus' finished work on the cross, it's only through his death, burial, and resurrection that you can be assured of forgiveness and sins. Through faith in him, through repentance, there is forgiveness. There is times of refreshing. There is the ability to be part of what is restored when he returns. But if we reject him, if we fail to hear him, if we fail to believe what he says, the only thing that is left for us is destruction. This is the message that you and I as the church of Jesus Christ have been entrusted with. This somber hope-filled message is the message that you and I have been given to proclaim to our friends, to our neighbors, to our co-workers, to our family. It's not a popular message, as is going to be very evident in chapter 4, but it is the message. And you and I need to look for opportunities to embrace this message, embrace the opportunities that we have given, been given to exalt Christ and then to encourage people to respond to the message. He once again reiterates as he concludes that there is hope through Jesus Christ. The blessing is available to those who will receive Christ. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow as many as have spoken have also foretold these days you are sons of the prophets and of the covenants which God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is, this is your destiny. This is what you're supposed to do. You are supposed to be people who result in the world being blessed. But you've kind of rejected that message. And you need to repent of your ignorance. And so, once again, Christ comes in verse 26 and makes his final plea. He says, Christ is offering this message to you first. To you first, God, having raised up his servant, Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. And that's, that's where he ends. And so the question is left for them. The question is left for for those of us who are here, have I trusted in Christ's finished work for the forgiveness, for the forgiveness of my for the forgiveness of my sins? Am I receiving, as I have hope of receiving, the blessings of Christ? The answer is yes, but only through faith in Jesus' finished work. 
this is the message that we've been given. You and I have the opportunity now to be part of and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You can be the source of blessing for somebody as you follow the model that Peter follows here. That we embrace the opportunities we're given, we exalt Christ, and we encourage people to follow Jesus. As we think about application, what does God want us to do? I think you and I need to rejoice in the work of first part of the text, the first ten verses, just describe the work of Christ. It's not the primary work of Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, but it's Christ going into a situation that was just an everyday, ordinary situation. Nobody was expecting something drastic or miraculous to take place in verses one or two. And Christ works in a miraculous way to display his glory, his splendor. As you and I see demonstrations of Christ's work, as we, we remember even this story of how Christ <coughs> works miraculously through his disciples, it should cause our hearts to be encouraged and to rejoice in his power. But not only that, you and I should embrace the opportunities Christ provides us to proclaim him. Our opportunities are very different than Peter's opportunities in Acts chapter 2. We do not go around healing people, which results in a loud crowd forming around us and people hugging us. Right? That doesn't happen in Acts. But you and I have opportunities to proclaim Christ as we talk about who he is, what he's done, as we talk about sin, talk about the brokenness of this world, as we talk about what we have by way of hope. Our hope isn't found in our job, it's not found in our bank accounts, it's not found in our retirement accounts. It's not found in how nice our house is. Our hope is found in Christ. And there are multiple opportunities that you and I have day by day to use just basic conversations to point people one step closer to knowing Christ and to knowing his splendor. So we embrace those opportunities. We look for the opportunities that God gives us to point people to him. We exalt Jesus as the glorified servant. And he exalts the work of Christ and who Christ is and why Christ is significant. He is holy. He is just. He is the one who is the author of life. He is the one who has come to be the source of blessing for all the nations. Through him, people can be forgiven. Through him, times of refreshing can come. Through him, the earth will be restored. Today it groans for that. But one day, earth's groanings will be fulfilled in the return of Christ. And so we exalt Christ as the glorified servant, the one that the world truly needs. And then we encourage those lost. It's not enough to just tell people about Christ. We must urge them to respond. Why? Because the results of their decisions are so significant. And they will make a decision. They either reject the message or they embrace the message. Rejection results in destruction. Whereas faith and embracing the message results in the blessings of Christ. And you and I have the opportunity to be a small part in the world receiving the blessings of Christ. 
So let's purpose together. We will embrace the opportunities Christ gives us. We will exalt Christ. And we will encourage response as God gives opportunities. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the example that you've given us. We thank you for the fact that you, once again, remind us that we were sinners. That we were separated from you. That we had no way of entering into a relationship with yet through your son's death, burial, and resurrection, through our faith in your finished work, we are able to be restored to you. We are able to be reconciled with you, declared righteous, and made heirs of the kingdom. We pray that these truths would encourage us and propel us to embrace the opportunities you've given us, to exalt you, and to encourage people to respond to the message of Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. When we all get to heaven, hymn 571, we stand when we all get to heaven.